0: Hey guys, it's Zach. I want to give a brief opinion before we start the show. Um, I keep hearing rumors that March Madness might be canceled because of coronavirus. And uh, number one, I want to say this. It's very important. If it really is too dangerous to have March Madness happen, fine. I get it. Totally. It's a safety issue. Makes sense to me. But as a fan of basketball and as a former athlete, I really, really hope that every single option is considered before a drastic move is made and March Madness is canceled. I'll be honest, I'd be really surprised if in fact it was canceled. You know, the basketball tournament has a massive amount of games. We're not going to pretend it's not what it is. It's a gigantic business. This is a, it's a gigantic event that brings in a ton of money. But there are other options. One of the options, the one that's most appealing to me is the idea of, hey, if it's a big gigantic safety issue, okay, let's play games without crowds. There doesn't have to be anybody in the stands. Fine, that works for me. Like I understand not wanting to gather a gigantic crowd of people. You know, you're afraid of spreading germs. Not to mention you're afraid of, uh, you know, massive migration and transit of a bunch of people into all the cities where each of the events take place. Totally makes sense. If you want to, hey, no crowds works for me. But I hope the games happen. I hope that the basketball games take place. Um, I want to watch on TV, and I just find it fascinating the idea of. You know, two basketball teams, a television crew, and that's it. Only necessary people are in the room. That sounds really interesting and odd to me. We'll always remember the 2020 March Madness where there were no crowds. Or maybe, in fact, it's, you know, you have about eight basketball teams at each site, and all the teams that aren't currently playing are in the stands watching the two teams playing. And so all you have in the room is a bunch of college basketball teams and coaches and, you know, the television crew. That'd be kind of fun, maybe. And again, of course, I've said this before, I'll say it again. If it really is that big of a safety issue and it's a big danger for the players, cancel it. Absolutely, I'm on board with that. Or if the players are too nervous and too afraid of getting coronavirus, they don't want to play, no problem. But a lot of people are coming out saying, we need to protect the players, the players, the players. And there's no consideration for a college basketball player grows up their entire life looking forward to, hoping to, dreaming of playing. In March Madness in the NCAA tournament. This is a childhood dream for most college basketball players. And so there are guys out there who, this is their one shot. It's the only time in their lives to get to play in this tournament. And they're not going to want this to be taken away from them. So people out there looking to protect the players, I don't think fully understand that players want to play basketball. As a fan, I'd be sad. If the games got canceled, Oh, it'd be heartbreaking. I don't want that. I'm happy to watch it on TV. That's that's where I probably would have watched it anyways. Um, but I really think the idea of having a bunch of games, not having a crowd live and in person in the stands, just having you know an empty coliseum with two basketball teams and a television crew—that makes sense to me. And I just hope that every single option is considered before a drastic move is cha- uh, taken. And March Madness is indeed canceled, guys. My name is Zach Schambler. You know that you're watching, you're listening to, you're watching Strong Opinion Sports. Uh, Let's just get on to the show. All right. Three, two, one. Oh, my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. I just realized I pointed back at the wall. My logo isn't over my shoulder anymore. (laughs) It's just a curtain. Um. I don't know, man. I'm doing well. Hope you're doing well. I got a new haircut. In fact, I want to start with that. I got a new haircut. And if you're one of those people out there who just goes, "Zach, can't do it, man. I hate the haircut. Your ears are too big. Oh, I actually, you can't even see, can't even see my gigantic ears because I wear headphones. Thank goodness on the show. Um, <laughs> Zach, I can't do it. The haircut's ugly. I hate it. And you would not be the first person to tell me that. That's nah, fine. I don't mind. Um, I have good news. I have good news. You can listen to the podcast on iTunes, on SoundCloud, on Spotify, Google Play, everywhere you can find a podcast. If you like listening to podcasts, please do me a gigantic favor. Subscribe to Strong Opinion Sports on all the podcast platforms out there. You can listen to the show anywhere. Maybe you're a YouTube person, and that's fine. Hey, if you are, great. Maybe your dad is like, hey, dad loves podcasts. Tell your dad. Tell your dad, hey, dad, there's this guy named Zach. He's got a silly haircut, but uh, you know what? His opinions on sports are kind of interesting. I don't agree with everything he says, but I like some of his stuff. My point is this: go listen to the podcast on iTunes. Uh, today's episode is all about the XFL Week Five, and I, I, I ingest. I, I like my haircut, by the way. I hope. You know, I probably sound. I probably made fun of myself a little too much. The goal is to be self-deprecating. Probably went a little extreme on that. I don't know. I don't care. Um, today's episode is all about Week Five takeaways from the XFL. However. You may not be a gigantic XFL fan. There's still really great content in here about football, about sports. Um, we're going to talk about why stats are so misleading, and I'm going to share some examples, some very specific examples of where stats are totally wrong. Um, I want to say though, I get hate sometimes for how long Strong Opinion Sports episodes take to come out. I want to acknowledge one thing first. Uh, I apologize again. I, this is the. I'm going to say this for the last time. I've said it multiple times. The last episode of Strong Opinion Sports about the XFL week four came out way too late. I got back from New York, took me three days to recover. I did a whole podcast, uh, the flawed humans podcast, my other podcast with my dad, where I talked about why that took so long to get episode four out. You know, last episode of strong opinion sports out. I apologize for that, but I will say, um, I do believe there's a right way to do things. So it's Tuesday afternoon. The last XFL game was Sunday night. Yesterday I was doing research. I was preparing. I was getting the show prepared, ready to go. Um, I take my time. I promise you, I'm working my butt off. I'm making a show as quickly as I possibly can, um, but I do a lot of research. I do a lot of prep. I want to be thoughtful. I don't want to be just the kind of person who sits down and talks into a mic. I think a lot of people believe that's what I do. He just sits down and he talks. No, 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 that's not what I do. I think there are some people who do do that, and I don't like that kind of content. That's not what I that's clearly not what I make. Um, but I hope you know i am proud of the work and preparation I've done for this episode and all the other episodes. Uh, I put a lot of effort into every single episode. If I was a listener of strong opinion sports, I'd want to know, hey, the guy making the show cares. he wants to make quality. he wants to make thoughtful content that's worth listening to. That's my goal. It's what I do. um you can watch my Instagram stories, my Instagram is at Zach Shomler if you want to. um I go all in depth all about how um the process behind making the show. I'm always I sit at my desk. I'm always working, um, but I, you know, this up, you know, week four's episode was late. I want to acknowledge that, but I want to say again, I'm proud of this episode. I know it's Tuesday. You might not even hear this till Wednesday morning. I know Wednesday, you know, Sunday night <laughs> XFL ends. Wednesday morning, you're finally hearing about it. Hey, it's because I really want to do it the right way. Take my time. XFL week five. Uh, the week, week five of the XFL season was so much fun. Um, I want to say this to start. I want to maintain that. The D.C. Defenders have the best stadium in the league. I love it so much. It's a smaller venue. It's got around a 2, uh, 200,000. What am I saying? What English is really hard? The D.C. Stadium, I believe it's called Audi Park, has about a 20,000-person capacity seating area. Uh, what am I even saying? Does that even make sense? It's a smaller venue. It's more intimate. And uh, it's the perfect size for... The XFL, it's loud, it's fun, the, the stadium feels full, it's not empty. I'm a gigantic fan of that. I think it's the best setting to watch an XFL game in the entire league. If I were to go to any game uh, and had to ch- like got to pick one, I would pick D.C. to go to Audi Park to watch a game there. Um, I also got to say the league genuinely has a lot of parity. I mean, it's really cool to me. Anybody seems to be able to beat anybody. We saw Seattle... Uh, who's Seattle's one has one win all year? Gave Houston a great game. Houston's undefeated, they're five and zero. Seattle took them all the way to the wire. Houston didn't take the lead until the fourth quarter. That's pretty cool. Um, I don't know, I love it, man. I really, really like the fact that, um, you know, you can <laughs> it feels like there's a lot of parity throughout the league and anybody can beat anybody. It's not college football, there's no New Mexico State versus Alabama. Very similar to the NFL, the talent pool is fairly even. And when you have a fairly even talent pool in football, the game comes down to who makes better decisions, who's more prepared, the nuances of football that are more interesting, rather than I'm physically more dominant than you. I don't like football when it's all about, I just get kind of bored when it's like, I'm just going to run you over. I I, I don't know. I I really prefer to see a guy out scheme another man or make better decisions. Now, in the NFL, it's kind of cool to watch Derrick Henry just run people over. But it's at least calming because, you know, hey, Derrick Henry is the best of the best. He's at the highest level, and people still can't tackle him. That's fine. But I really hate watching New Mexico State versus Alabama. That's not a fun matchup. That's not the thing I want. And the XFL certainly is not that. Anybody can beat anybody if you make the right adjustments and have the right performance on that day in the XFL. Here are the standings in the XFL currently. Remember the top two teams in each division. There's a Western division and an Eastern division. The top two teams in each division make it into the playoffs. In the East, you have the DC Defenders who are three and two. They're number one. The number two seed currently are the St. Louis Battlehawks. They are also two uh, three and two. The New York Guardians are the third seed. They are three and two as well. And the fourth seed is the Tampa Bay Vipers. They are one and four. Now in the West, you have the Houston. They are undefeated. The Houston Roughnecks are five and zero. Oh. The Dallas Renegades are two and three. The LA Wildcats are also two and three. They are the third seed. And the Seattle Dragons are one and four. But I also got to say a couple more things. I love the access that the XFL has allowed us to have this season. Uh, there were a couple moments this weekend I just really loved. Uh, it was really fun to watch in the Seattle Houston game. A player got kicked out, and they were interviewing him as he's leaving the game in the tunnel. That's awesome. Uh, It's really cool to listen to officials when they make a call. You get to hear the whole process, why they're calling what it is. It's not just one brief moment where they go, it's holding and that's it. You hear why it's holding. You hear why it's defensive pass interference. You hear why a booth review is going the way it is. Why a call is overturned. Why a call isn't overturned. I love the transparency of that process. I really, really want to see the NFL do that. I also thought it was really cool. You know, I've heard play calls all year. All XFL season you hear, you can hear the coaches calling the plays, and I just haven't cared. Like, it's a bunch of code words. I don't know the code words. It's not interesting to me to hear, like, you know, uh, Pep Hamilton, the head coach of D.C., go, yellow, yellow, yellow. And I'm like, I don't know what yellow means because it's a word. you, It's a thing you made up that means something to you. It means nothing to anybody else. But there was a moment in the Seattle game where, you know, a couple times Seattle called Trojan. And I was like, oh. And I got to realize Trojan means a sweep, like a run to the outside with the running back. So on the goal line, when Seattle ran Q Trojan, Q Trojan, I went, oh, Trojan means sweep. So Q must mean quarterback, quarterback, sweep. And that's exactly what it was. Seattle ran it for a touchdown. It was the very first time all year. I went, hmm, the access makes sense. I really understand why they're playing all this stuff. A lot of it's nerdy. It goes over even my head. Because I'm like, again, it's just it's words that only mean something if you know the secret code. But it is pretty cool to hear the play calls. And it was the first moment all year when I went, you know what? That was cool. That was valuable. And I liked that. I also want to add, Joel Klatt is phenomenal. Joel Klatt, uh, the Fox Sports 1 broadcaster. I guess it's just Fox Sports in general broadcaster. He's phenomenal. He does a great job. He's, uh, I believe, the best analyst. Him and Tony Romo are the two best you know, in-game Live broadcast analysts of football in the entire game—they're just phenomenal. Um, but Greg Olson has been a really, really pleasant surprise. And, and by the way, back to Joel for a minute—you know, <laughs> Tony Romo's not going to do an XFL game. Tony Romo's bigger than the XFL. Uh, Joel Clatt, I believe, also is a little bit bigger than the XFL. Like Joel Clatt, again, is the best broadcaster in college football. He's phenomenal. At, he's, he's an in-game analyst. There's a play-by-play, and there's the analyst. And Joel Klatt's a phenomenal analyst. I believe that the fact that Joel Klatt is doing XFL games, number one, says he's a good company man. It's good for Fox. They want him there. But also, I believe it shows that Joel Klatt just loves football. He doesn't care if it's high school football, college football, professional football. Joel Klatt loves football, and Joel Klatt with an L, in case I'm not saying... I know I know his name. I have a bit of a lisp. I'm doing the best I can. Joel Klatt, uh clearly loves football to me. And I think that's awesome. I think it's really, really cool. And uh, I'm really glad he's a part of it. But Greg Olson. Greg Olson's been the surprise of the year to me from the broadcasting standard. Um, you know, he's a NFL tight end. He's currently under contract with the Seattle Seahawks. He's been a pro bowler. He's a great tight end. Who would have thought... Greg Olson was going to come onto the scene and be a great in-game analyst. I love him. Him and Kevin Burkhart are a great fit. They're both from a similar area. They seem to be pretty good friends. They have good chemistry. I love listening to Greg Olson, and he's the takeaway from this year from a broadcasting perspective. I was actually excited to watch Pat McAvee this year. I'm sad he's really not a part of the XFL at all this year, but there is a bright spot. Greg Olson. Who would have thought Greg Olson has been the broadcasting surprise of the year? He's a great broadcaster to listen to week in and week out doing XFL games. Now, there was a really, really important moment during XFL Week 5 we need to discuss. Uh, It was the end of the Seattle-Houston game. Here's what happened. Houston had a nine-point lead. Which, by the way, in the XFL, that's a one-score game because you can get a six-point touchdown and then a three-point point-after-touchdown conversion, giving you nine points in one possession. So a nine-point game is a one-possession game in the XFL. P.J. Walker, the quarterback of Houston, went down, got on a knee, game ended. But there were two seconds left. It was fourth down. And P.J. Walker was on the 22-yard line. What that means is that Seattle should have gotten the ball first and 10 on the 22-yard line going in with two seconds left on the clock. That didn't happen. Now, the game ended. They at least allegedly ended. Seattle didn't notice. Seattle didn't argue. Nobody actually seemed to notice the problem. Everybody walked off. The refs were gone. The field is just crowded. The players in the middle shaking hands and trading jerseys. and Everybody left. <laughs> And it's a tough situation because the game should have had one final play. The game should not have actually ended. Because technically, it didn't. Technically, there should have been still two seconds left on the clock. But by the time the XFL officials in the booth realized what had happened, they would have had to organize everybody, clear the field, Let's go, we got one more final play, and it's tough. And so they decided not to do that. And I want to read what statement the XFL gave about the game. Because I thought they were really transparent and really cool. Here is the XFL statement regarding the Seattle-Houston game. They said, Saturday's Seattle Dragons-Houston Roughnecks game should not have ended as it did. Replays showed that the knee of the Houston quarterback, P.J. Walker, touched the field, rendering him down, and the fourth down play officially completed, with approximately two seconds remaining on the clock. Effectively turning the ball over to Seattle on downs with a nine-point differential in the score, Seattle was denied an opportunity to tie the game. The XFL sincerely regrets this error. And in addition, Wes Booker, who served as the officiating supervisor for Saturday's game, has been reassigned. So they made a great statement. Uh, I really, really appreciate the honesty uh, from the XFL. Now, the question everyone's asking is, Is this some horrible blemish for the XFL? Is this the end-all be-all? How bad is this? I I don't know. I mean, it's not a great situation. It's not something you definitely want to have happen if you're the XFL. But they did the only thing they could, which was say, hey, we were wrong. They acknowledged they were wrong. They did the best they could. And uh, in fact, there were even consequences for the guy who made the wrong call. I love that. 100%, the way the game ended was wrong. That should not have happened. Seattle should have gotten one final play. They needed a 22-yard touchdown and then a three-point conversion. That's not impossible. That's not even unthinkable. That could have actually happened. And it would have been really, really entertaining television. If anybody's mad about it, it sh- they should really just be mad. We really missed out on a cool ending to a game that would have been a lot of fun. But was Seattle horribly screwed? Is this the worst thing ever? Ah, I just, I don't know. First of all, don't forget that Seattle had the ball with three minutes and 23 seconds left. First and 10, and their offense couldn't drive down the field and score. On a third and 10, B.J. Daniels fumbled, turned over the ball, became Houston ball. Effectively, that should have ended the game. I mean, I, I don't know. Seattle did have an opportunity on that drive, to tie the game, but they couldn't deliver. So a little bit of that statement saying, Seattle's denied the opportunity to tie the game. Well, they had an opportunity. They just blew it. And if P.J. Walker runs around for two more seconds, that game's over anyway. And its I got to say, it's really, really sad. We only remember the one negative moment from this game at least from an officiating standpoint, because it's too bad. Other than the final moment of the game, the Seattle-Houston game was really, really well officiated. It was awesome. I mean, I was watching live, and my notes say multiple times, what a great call. Great officiating. Great job by them stepping in in the replay booth. There were multiple plays where the XFL stepped in and got booth reviews correct. Number one, there was a Mobley catch down the left sideline. Got overturned. It wasn't actually a catch. They got it right. Number two, Seattle had a fumble overturned because it wasn't actually a fumble. He was down, overturned it. Another great call. Number three, Houston had a touchdown on second and goal. Except he didn't actually score. So they went back to third, third and goal. And you know, they scored on third and goal anyways. But for the sake of things, they got it right. It was the right call. And finally, fourth, Seattle. The Seattle defense had an interception. They caught an interception on the sideline. They weren't sure how to call it. They reviewed it and confirmed, in fact, hey, that is an interception. It was a catch and bounce. There were multiple moments in the Seattle-Houston game where the XFL nailed it with booth reviews. They really did. They got it right. They made the right call. And every time they make a call in the XFL, I'm so impressed with, especially really in this Seattle-Houston game, with how... Clear and concise, the messages. They very, very well explain the reasoning and the thought process behind the decision that's made. I love that. That's phenomenal. And I just go back to it's such a shame that a well officiated game ended the way it did. It's just awful. But I got to ask does that one mistake, does that one bad call, ruin the credibility of the XFL? It certainly should not. I mean, let's be very, very honest. The XFL is still way better than the NFL when it comes to getting calls right. They're so much more accurate. They're transparent. There are way more accurate, correct calls. And again, we always get an explanation behind why the decision was made. And that's what's interesting. I'm glad the XFL had West Booker, that guy, come on and explain why the game ended. And uh, I'll be honest, I watched it and said, that uh, your reason isn't good enough. And clearly the XFL agreed. They punished that guy. They reassigned him. Whatever that means. I think it just means he was fired. Because it didn't really make sense. The XFL did the right thing. In fact, let me be very clear. This horrible ending to a game with, I, first of all, it's not horrible. That's that's hyperbole. That's not quite right. The ending of this game was not horrible. I would even go as far as say this, though, that it was actually encouraging. The game ended the way it did. Disappointing. Uh, you you, you kind of go, oh, that's too bad. But I really like the way the XFL handled it. If anything, the way the XFL handled the situation, owning the mistake, making a statement about it, saying we were wrong, admitting fault, admitting they were wrong. When is the last time the NFL did that? How many games in the NFL do you go, bad call, bad call, bad call, bad call, bad call? What are you doing? What's happening? Why? I very rarely do that in the XFL. And so the way that the XFL handled this controversy, to me, just makes me a bigger fan of them. If anything else, the way the Houston-Seattle game ended in the XFL actually made me love the XFL even more than I already did. I so appreciate the honesty. I so appreciate admitting fault, saying you were wrong. Um, That's a huge part of strong opinion sports. I try to do that all the time. And the fact that the league was able to do that about this play in this moment says a lot to me. And I, I really, really appreciate it. I really, really value that. Okay, let's move gears. Let's what it? move gears. That's definitely not something anybody says. Let's now talk about the Seattle Dragons. Um, the Seattle Dragons' performance week five was really, really interesting to me because first of all, Seattle lost to Houston. They lost thirty-two to twenty-three, but I have a great feeling about Seattle's team after this loss, which is a very rare feeling. Usually a lose and you go, ah, it stinks. But for me, Seattle had a gigantic step forward during week five of the XFL season. They had a gigantic step forward in progress against Houston. I mean, they gave the number one, the best team in the XFL, undefeated Houston, a great game. Seattle led 14 to zero and Houston never had a lead in this game until the fourth quarter. It says a lot. It really does. Like, wow. Seattle brought their best and were really competitive and almost beat the, quote, best team in the XFL. That's a big deal. And the biggest bright spot in this game was the quarterback for Seattle, B.J. Daniels. So Seattle's 1-4. But I'm telling you, this team is better than their record would suggest. And a large part of why they were so bad at the beginning of the year was the former starting quarterback, Brandon Silvers. They have a new starting quarterback. B.J. Daniels is the new sheriff in town. And you, if you've watched the Seattle Dragons in the last two weeks, they haven't won in the last two weeks, but they've really, really put out a better performance. They almost beat St. Louis, one of the better teams in the league. They almost beat Houston just last week. And by the way, it was at Houston. It was at St. Louis in that incredibly tough to win dome in St. Louis. That's impressive. And Saturday, the Dragons were heavy underdogs going into Houston, and they almost beat the Houston Roughnecks at their own place. And that says a lot to me about the progress the Seattle Dragons are making. Nobody believed in them, and they still almost won. And I gotta say, I love watching B.J. Daniels, the new quarterback for Seattle, play. He's both incredibly entertaining, but also really, really compelling as a quarterback. Yeah, like he can run. And his ability to run has a huge impact on Seattle's offense, for sure. He runs for yards. He avoids sacks. He can extend plays, keep his eyes downfield, throw the ball downfield. It's awesome. And he does make things easier for running backs in the zone read scheme. You know, because sometimes he'll you know, you'll run a zone read, he'll keep the ball, he'll run to the edge. And it forces a defensive end to be honest. Defensive ends have to respect the fact that B.J. Daniels might run, which allows running backs more room to run inside. B.J. Daniels... uh, If B.J. Daniels hands off the ball, the defensive end can't just crash inside immediately to tackle the running back because they have to respect that B.J. Daniels could keep it. They also ran a quarterback sweep a couple times, one for a touchdown. It was great. And B.J. Daniels is a much better quarterback than the former Seattle quarterback Brandon Silvers for so many reasons. And and he's the right guy. I mean, the Dragons' chances of winning are significantly better with B.J. Daniels as the quarterback. He regularly makes the right decision. He picks the right matchup. B.J. Daniels seems to understand why Jim Zorn, the head coach and play caller, calls the plays he's calling. I mean, Jim Zorn calls a play, and him and B.J. are on the same page. BJ goes, oh, he's calling the play for this reason, to attack the defense this way. And the more I watch, the more I understand it's even more clear, oh, Brandon Silvers was the problem in the early couple weeks for the Seattle Dragons. It wasn't Jim Zorn. A lot of people were questioning Jim Zorn. I was even at some points going, look, I love Jim. Is he the right guy? What's going on? No, no, no. The problems were <laughs> Rand and Silvers because Jim Zorn and B.J. Daniels work really well together. Now, B.J. Daniels is not perfect as a passer. We're, we've talked about you know his his ability as a quarterback. We'll talk about that a little more. We're going to get to why he's so compelling as a quarterback in a minute. But there was a play on the uh, first and goal where B.J. Daniels took his eyes down too quickly. He needed to keep his eyes up and be more patient. A shallow route came open over the middle. He should have been looking. He just... He, he just Really kind of rushed through his reads a little bit. Took off running. Rather than being patient in the pocket, that comes with reps. And it's hard when you're a quarterback who has the ability to run. It's tempting to want to just run. It really is. There was a third and two where, again, B.J. Daniels extended a play rather than being disciplined and throwing to his check down, who was open. The check down would have gotten the first down easily. Instead, they didn't get it. B.J. Daniels is not a perfect quarterback. No one's saying that. I'm not saying that, certainly. Certainly. But he still executes way better than Brandon Silvers, the former quarterback for Seattle, did. Again, I I love watching Brandon watching B.J. Daniels play quarterback. He's aggressive, man. He had a stiff arm. Oh, it was brilliant. And you know, the announcers were like, "I don't like that." No, I love that. It's it's really this. B.J. Daniels has this attitude of a guy who's not playing scared at all, and he's the kind of guy you would want to follow into battle. I called B.J. Daniels compelling. Here's why. B.J. Daniels is a great vocal leader and encourager on the football field. There is a massive difference between Brandon Silvers, the former quarterback in Seattle, who is not a leader at all. And we'll get into my... I've got some further problems with Brandon Silvers even this week. I'm like, what What are you doing? No, Brandon Silvers was not a leader. B.J. Daniels is the opposite. He is the man. He's a great leader. He's vocal. He encourages. He's the kind of guy who rallies his teammates to victory. I know they haven't won yet. I'm telling you, B.J. Daniels is the right guy. He gives the Seattle Dragons the best opportunity to win. The locker room supports him. They love him. And in a sideline interview, B.J. Daniels showed just how much he gets it. He credited his teammates. He said, man, we're doing this together. Rather than talking about himself, he talked about his teammates. And that's the kind of guy he is. It's very clear. He's not just saying that for the camera. That really, truly is who B.J. Daniels is because you watch the way he interacts on the sideline. You hear him talk to his teammates. I know people in that locker room. They love him there. He gets it. He's loud. He's encouraging. He's phenomenal. And it's really, really fascinating to me. Brandon Silvers, the former quarterback, was inactive this week. Inactive meaning uh not uh, suited up to play at all. Not participating last week. And it seems to me like Brandon Silvers is being a big baby. And I'm not impressed with Brandon Silvers, the man. The quarterback, the man, the leader, non-existent. Brandon Silvers was given so many opportunities to succeed. I mean, they, they really kept, they were patient. They kept saying, Brandon, come on. Brandon, come on. Brandon, come on. It would be one thing for Brandon Silvers to be mad about being benched if he never got a fair opportunity. If he never was able to play and they never gave him a shot, fair enough, be mad. I mean, I sided with Tampa Bay quarterback Quinton Flowers when there was a... The situation in the early weeks for Tampa Bay was they kept switching quarterbacks back and forth. Quinton Flowers, Taylor Cornelius, Quinton Flowers, Taylor Cornelius coming on and off the field. It's awful. That's not a situation that's good for any quarterback. And so when Quinton Flowers, the quarterback in Tampa Bay, took a leave of absence from the team and requested a trade, I supported him. I said, yeah, that's not a good situation for anybody. I support the quarterback there. But that's not what happened with Brandon Silvers. Brandon Silvers was given a fair shot and many, many opportunities. In fact, you could argue many people would that Seattle was far too patient with Brandon Silvers, that their season might be over already because they didn't make this switch soon enough. I mean, I watched the DC quarterback Cardell Jones this weekend get benched. And Cardell Jones was a good leader, he stayed engaged. He was involved in the game. When the guy who replaced him, Tyree Jackson, scored a touchdown, Cardell Jones was the first person out there high-fiving him, giving him a shoulder bump, and celebrating with his teammates. That's what a good leader does. But in contrast, Brandon Silvers hurt himself. And he hurt his own team by not playing, by not being prepared, by not being ready on the sideline. What would have happened if B.J. Daniels had gotten hurt? You know who would have played quarterback? Keenan Reynolds. A guy playing receiver for Seattle who did play a little bit of quarterback in college, but he's a running quarterback, doesn't have a great arm. If B.J. Daniels had gotten hurt, Seattle was screwed, and part of that's because their guy, Brandon Silvers, is selfish and wasn't there. I don't know, man. I I just... The Seattle issues in the first couple weeks were because Brandon Silvers wasn't a good enough quarterback. He went out late at night. He did. He did. Wasn't prepared. Was a bad leader on game days. Jim Zorn is a solid coach. I like Jim Zorn. The problem was Brandon Silver's. Now let's talk about Jim Zorn because I like him. Um, you know, he's the kind of guy I would love to play for. Jim Zorn. He's a former quarterback. He's got this cool attitude, really like California cool. Just the kind of guy. I I don't even know what California cool means because a lot of people say that. I just said it because everyone said it my whole life. I, I he's just got this calming presence, this demeanor about him. Jim Zorn is just a a calm dude. The kind of guy you're like, I would love to work with you. I mean, I saw earlier this year when the quarterback screwed up for Seattle. You know, Jim, Jim Zorn was calm, gave very helpful, clear instructional advice, gave him information. It was great. So I love Jim Zorn. And there was this funny moment where B.J. Daniels, the quarterback for Seattle, had blood on his jersey. And Jim Zorn goes, oh, man, you're a cool guy. Only cool guys have blood on their jerseys, and I just I, it was just fun. It was just there's a cool vibe to Jim Zorn I really like, but he's not just a likable guy. He's also a good play caller. There was a touchdown with BJ Daniels. They ran Q Trojan, which is a quarterback sweep to the right. They ran a motion across. What the motion did, it's the little details that make Jim Zorn a good play caller. They ran a motion across, which isolated uh, the, the right side of the field, there was the corner ran across the field with the receiver, meaning there was not really a perimeter player to make a tackle on B.J. Daniels. They had a running back leading up with a block. They ran quarterback sweep to the right. Easy touchdown, bam, on first and goal. And uh, that's a great play call. Multiple times I've seen Jim Zorn do little things like that that I go, it's a great play call. I, I really am impressed with Jim Zorn. He's a good, likable guy. He's also a good play caller. And then we got to talk about, we need to give a lot of credit to the Seattle Dragons defensive line they did a great job containing the Houston quarterback P.J. Walker here's a cre- I'm not a big stats guy but listen to this P.J. Walker ran the ball seven times for only six yards this weekend that's because Seattle had a really smart pass rush design a lot of other XFL teams need to copy what Seattle did the, the defensive ends had a really wide pass rush, and their goal, their mission, their objective was we got to keep P.J. Walker in front of us. P.J. Walker, the Houston quarterback, has got a really great ability to run around and extend plays, and they said, you know what? We're going to keep our eyes on him. He's going to be in front of us. Wherever he goes, we can follow him because we're looking at him the whole time. He's not going to get behind us. That's how you stop P.J. Walker. You fan out. You play a kind of contained pass rush, and it worked really well. P.J. Walker did not scramble, did not extend plays, and throw the ball downfield. It didn't happen. It wasn't possible. And here's the thing. P.J. Walker makes a couple mistakes a game. You need to capitalize on those moments. Seattle did. Seattle had two interceptions. They had a a forced fumble. I am telling you, there is now a template to beat P.J. Walker. Do what Seattle did. Seattle wasn't able to score enough points in the end, but they had an opportunity to win that game. Seattle, against a really good Houston team, and this quarterback who's probably MVP gave other teams an example of how to beat Houston, and they came up just short. I mean, I'm telling you, Seattle had the ball first and 10, three minutes, 23 seconds left. They couldn't drive down the field and score, but the defense gave them that opportunity. The defense was good enough to stop P.J. Walker. Seattle couldn't capitalize. Seattle's offense couldn't. But there is now a way. If you want to, we've seen a way to beat P.J. Walker. One more thing. There was that final play where yeah, should Seattle should have gotten the ball with two seconds left on the 22-yard line and a chance to tie the game. But did Seattle really get massively, massively screwed? No. No, they didn't. Did they get screwed a little bit? Sure, I mean, you can you can look at it that way. But I just will always go back to three minutes, 23 seconds left, first and 10 for Seattle, and they couldn't drive down the field and score. On a third and ten, B.J. Daniels fumbled the ball, gave it back to Houston, game over. Everyone's saying, Seattle didn't have a fair opportunity. They did have an opportunity. Three minutes, 23 seconds left, they had an opportunity, and they didn't make it happen. They did not deliver. Those are my takeaways from Seattle Week 5. It was a, a really fun performance to watch, a great game, really enjoyable, and I feel really good about Seattle moving forward. B.J. Daniels is the guy moving forward, and he should be. Now, Houston won on Saturday. Houston won on Saturday. They beat the Seattle Dragons 32-23. to And I want to start by talking about Houston quarterback P.J. Walker's stats. Because the dude had three turnovers. He had two interceptions and a fumble lost. And it was so annoying to me. The announcers kept saying, Man, this is not the P.J. Walker we're used to seeing. They're like, P.J. Walker's off his game. It's wrong. P.J. Walker played exactly like he's always played. If you watch the film, P.J. Walker's been the same guy all five weeks of the XFL season. You need to watch film. You can't just watch highlights. You cannot just look at the stat sheet. If you do that, you'll have the wrong impression. Week five against Seattle, P.J. Walker made the same mistakes he's made all year. Now, during the early couple weeks, P.J. Walker made a couple questionable decisions. In week one, one of them got, he, he was made to pay through an interception in the end zone. Now week two and three, St. Louis and Tampa Bay. They didn't capitalize when they had an opportunities. PJ Walker threw a couple passes that should have been intercepted week two and week three, and they were dropped by the defense. What changed this week when PJ Walker gave the defense an opportunity to get an interception? Oh, the defense caught the ball. Again, P.J. Walker didn't change in week five. The defense changed. And this is why you cannot blindly trust stats. Stats are not everything. They can be incredibly misleading. A lot of people just look at the box score. Like, oh, he was blank for blank with blank yards and this many touchdowns. And then you watch a couple highlights and you think you can talk about everything. That's not how it works. That's not enough. You need the actual context behind the numbers. If you've been watching every Houston game for the last five weeks, you'll see, oh, a lot of P.J. Walker throws, could, not a lot, but about two or a game could have been interception and they were intercepted and they were dropped. This weekend against Seattle, the difference only is that the defense finally capitalized and caught those balls rather than dropping interceptions. You need the full context of a situation. PJ Walker isn't perfect. I never said he was. In fact, I said he is not perfect. I've been saying that the entire season. On Saturday, PJ Walker made a couple questionable decisions. I mean, he had an interception where he stared down a hitch on the left side of the field. He didn't see the flat defender. The linebacker slipped underneath, got a really easy interception. It looked really bad, and it was bad. And then there are a couple times where P.J. Walker just occasionally will force a throw into coverage to Cam Phillips. Cam Phillips is the number one receiver in the XFL. And I get it. Like, I I get making a throw, you know, throwing the ball to your best receiver. I'm going to give my guy a chance. Our best. He's going to go make a play. You got to just trust that he's going to win. I get it. But there are still sometimes even that's still not a good choice when it's a Bad double team, and it's just not there. Occasionally, you see P.J. Walker throw the ball anyways, and it, it just happens sometimes. Where you see P.J. Walker make a decision, and you go, that's not great. But you also see P.J. Walker make some really, really outstanding plays. Even on Saturday against Seattle, where you know Seattle have this great pass rush. They didn't allow P.J. Walker to run around and extend plays. He made some great throws from the pocket. I mean, he does a great job working across the field. He moves he doesn't need to run an extended place. He can move within the pocket. He works to his you know, left, all the way across to the right, to his third and fourth reads. He had a touchdown on third and goal where the guy, his receiver was honestly pretty well defended, and he threw the ball low and outside where only his guy could get it. That's a perfect throw. It's a great touchdown. But you got to understand that P.J. Walker is a prospect. He's not a finished product. Everybody's saying, P.J. Walker, NFL, blah, 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 blah. Whatever you want to say, right? He's not ready today. P.J. Walker's not ready today to be an NFL starting quarterback. He's not. But he definitely could become one. He's a young dude. He's incredibly talented. And we've seen a lot of progression from college to now. uh, Even from two years ago with the Colts to now. He's a better quarterback. I am convinced that with the right coach, P.J. Walker could be... Really special at the NFL level. Now, I want to throw a new potential landing spot for P.J. Walker out there. I've suggested in the past for P.J. Walker, you know, maybe the Carolina Panthers, maybe the Arizona Cardinals should make a a move at him because P.J. Walker would be a great backup to Kyler Murray. But what about the Saints? What about the New Orleans Saints? Could P.J. Walker go there and make it happen? sit behind Drew Brees for a year or two, learn from Sean Payton, develop as a quarterback under Drew Brees, that's a possibility. And I think he'd be a steal because you can get him without wasting a draft pick to have him. You know, the Saints are a pretty good team. They got a good quarterback, Drew Brees, and using a draft pick early in the draft to pick a young quarterback is kind of a waste for the Saints, because they need to use those draft picks to support Drew Brees and put the best possible team around him. Here's the answer to that problem. You sign P.J. Walker a free agent quarterback. Bam. Problem solved. Great. It's just food for thought. I'm telling you, P.J. Walker could be a steal in the NFL because, again, he's a guy who could become a potential franchise quarterback. He's a prospect, very similar to Tua, Justin Herbert, Jill Burrow. He's a prospect. He needs to sit, learn, develop, grow as a quarterback. But he's no less of a prospect than Tua. But I think you can get a guy like him again without wasting an early draft pick. That's a huge get. That's a steal at the NFL level. A team like the Chicago Bears, who has nothing to lose. Why don't you sign PJ Walker? Maybe he turns out to be better than Mitchell Trubisky. That's a real possibility. I would love to see a team understand the value P.J. Walker has. A team like the Saints, that's a great move for them. Instead of wasting a draft pick, you can sign P.J. Walker. Bam. Succession plan. I also need to say that the Seattle Dragons really showed a way to slow down P.J. Walker. You know, I've, I've talked a little bit about this uh, previously, but the Seattle Dragons showed a way to eliminate P.J. Walker's ability to run around there's now a template if you want to slow down pj walker you can do it and i'm really curious how many other xfl teams are going to copy that so in week five the seattle dragons had a really wide pass rush now, the, the defensive ends were told rush really wide and your objective is to keep pj walker in front of you your eyes should be on pj walker wherever he moves your eyes follow him if you lose sight of him that's a problem Keep him in front of you. Don't let him escape the pocket. And here's a crazy number. (laughs) It's pretty interesting. P.J. Walker ran the ball seven times in week five for negative five yards. The key is this. P.J. Walker will make like three bad decisions a game. So if you keep him in the pocket, you don't allow him to run, then it comes down to your coverage, making plays, stopping P.J. Walker's ability to throw the ball. And again, about two or three throws a game, P.J. Walker gives the defense an opportunity to make a play. Now, in Week 5, Seattle caught two interceptions. They had their hands on the ball, and they caught it. We saw earlier this year, Tampa Bay, uh, St. Louis, had the ball in their hands and dropped interceptions. But the problem was, you still couldn't slow down his legs. Now we have a way. Oh, wow, if you can catch interceptions and run a pass rush scheme similar to what Seattle did, a really wide pass rush, slow down P.J. Walker, keep him in front of you, don't let him escape the pocket, keep him in the pocket, there is a way to slow down P.J. Walker. He will make a questionable t- decision at some point. You just need to capitalize and catch the dang ball. Okay, there are two other things I want to talk about the Houston Roughnecks. Number one, I love Nick Holly, the Houston receiver. Did anybody see that wild graphic they put up? There's this wild graphic about Nick Hawley where it showed that in 2015, he broke his back. In 2016, he tore his ACL. In 2017, he tore his ACL again. and 2018, for a third year in a row, Nick Hawley tore his ACL. Now, 2020, he's back. He's balling in the XFL. To me, that's, that's incredibly impressive. That's a really cool story of a guy's just tenacity to keep trying to keep going and keep attempting to stay playing professional football. And I love Nick Hawley's heart and the passion he plays with. He's a gutsy, gutsy receiver. I mean, he, he takes some hits and still catches the ball. He'll just get nailed. I mean, he'll get rocked and hold onto the ball and complete the catch. That's a big deal to me. I really, really respect and appreciate that about him. The dude leaves nothing on the table. His effort is phenomenal. He had a nice touchdown. It was a third and one He got wide open, made the safety miss, ran for a long touchdown. Nick Hawley is one of my favorite stories and one of my favorite receivers in the entire XFL. Now, number two, there's a new thing in Houston I want to highlight and talk about really briefly. Uh, It's called the Houston Hop. It's very similar to the Lambeau leap in Green Bay, Wisconsin with the Packers, where the Houston running back, James Butler, scored a touchdown and he jumped into the stands. He did it twice. I saw it twice. I love that. They call it the Houston hop. I think that's super fun, super cool. And I got to just say, all around in general, I really enjoy watching Houston, watching the Roughnecks play football. It's so much fun. I, it's mostly their offense. I like the Houston hop. That's pretty cool. Um, but their offense is so much fun. They have an ability to score really quickly. They have such good play design. And as a the football nerd in me, I, I just love what Houston's able to do on offense. The way they use spacing to get guys open and create mismatches is so cool, and uh, Houston's one of my favorite teams to watch. I hope they make it to the championship, because a lot of people, I, I I don't know if, I hope the ratings would be good for the XFL championship game, but I really hope people get to watch them, because they are a phenomenal football team. It's just a blast, really entertaining, really fun to watch, and I'm excited to watch them progress and keep going throughout the rest of this year. We're halfway through the XFL season, and the first half for the Houston Roughnecks, they're 5-0. and has been really, really successful. All right, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we still have six more XFL teams to cover. We're going to talk about Dallas, LA, Tampa, DC. They benched their quarterback. New York, Luis Perez. We'll talk about Jordan Ta'amu, the quarterback in St. Louis. Got a lot of good storylines. We're also going to do a topic near the end of the show called XFL Week 5 Stats. or so Something along the lines of basically showing where stats are incredibly incredibly misleading. It drives me nuts. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I want to talk about the LA Wildcats. The LA Wildcats won on Sunday night. They beat Tampa Bay. And I got to say, I have never seen a team that is as resilient as the LA Wildcats. I've never seen a team like this. A team that's able to roll with the punches, It's unfazed by their mistakes. It just has the ability to move on to the next play. And again, rolling with the punches, it's so hard to find a team able to operate the way that the LA Wildcats have the last couple weeks, especially in this last game against Tampa Bay. So many things went wrong to start the game for LA. You know, the very first play of the game, the LA Wildcats quarterback Josh Johnson threw an interception. Later, he fumbled a snap. Uh, The snap was high. He couldn't handle it. That was a turnover. You know, L.A. dropped a wide-open deep ball. It would have been a gigantic gain, maybe a touchdown. They fumbled a punt return. They missed a field goal. They kept making huge mistakes. You know, they were down 17 to nothing. Then later, they were down 24 to 6. That's an 18-point deficit. They were losing by 18 points, and things kept getting worse and worse and worse. But in the end, LA came back. They won 41 to 34. And two people deserve the the brunt, the, the largest amount of credit here. Number one, it's a head coach, Winston Moss. And number two, it's the quarterback Josh Johnson. So Winston Moss is a passionate dude. I've I've met him. I really love him. Uh and he's the kind of guy that, you know, he's very intense, but he always believed. He always was stayed positive. Said, come on, men, we gotta fix it. We're close. We got to keep swinging. And then Josh Johnson, the quarterback, is so competitive. I talked to him after losing in New York last week, you know, two weeks ago now. And the guy was livid. He was angry. He does not like losing. He hates it. He refused to give up. I, I really believe Josh Johnson is the most underrated and underappreciated quarterback in the XFL. I mean, number one, He's talented. He so easily can make really tough plays. He makes it look easy. People kind of take it for granted. We don't really pay attention to what he does. I mean, he can extend plays with his legs. He can throw the ball into really tight windows downfield. He can throw the ball over linebackers. He makes phenomenal decisions. He can manipulate defenses. He does all the little things right. And then he's also, again, a really physically talented quarterback. He had a 49-yard deep ball before halftime. It was a perfect throw into a really small window downfield, just a dime. And yet he's so nonchalant. It's just like, ah, no big deal. But Josh Johnson's veteran leadership cannot be overstated. You know, veteran means attention to detail. And then the leadership means that he rallies the teammates. He rallies the people around him and leads them to victory, leads them to success. You know, people will struggle to believe this. I know that there's going to be pushback for what I'm about to say. But Josh Johnson is the all-around best quarterback in the entire XFL. Yeah, he's talented. He makes some perfect throws. But it's his leadership. He refuses to let L.A. give up on their season. He refused to let his teammates give up on the game on Sunday. I mean, you know, they had a bad start to the year. And they had a bad start to their game on Sunday. But Josh Johnson keeps fighting. He's the kind of guy that will carry his teammates to fix their fix their mistakes if he needs to. And I don't mean that he's going to be Superman and carry the team on his back. He's not going to play a Superman role. What I mean is that he's going to drag you to work. He's Come on, guys. We got work to do. We got to fix our mistakes. We got to fix our problems with our team it's leadership. Again, he's not going to play Superman, he's going to drag you to work. I love that image. Come on, guys, we got to work. And I love the way that Josh Johnson communicates on the field. It's like no other quarterback I've ever seen. He's so comfortable at the line of scrimmage. He just talks. There's a sequence where he goes, "Hey you, get off the field. Hurry up, bro. We got we got the clock's running. We got to go." Said hike like he's just bam, bam, bam. He's so confident, he's so calm. You got to get off the field. Hey, you got to be here, Jimmy. Go over here. We got, we got. Time's ticking. Let's go. Said Hut. I mean, he's just bam, bam. I, I really appreciate the candor, the confidence. I, I probably don't do it justice at all because I sound like I'm in a hurry. I'm probably sweating. Josh Johnson is like, here's a better impression of Josh Johnson. It's like, bro, come on. You got to get off the field. We only have four seconds. Three, two. I, I mean, he's just so, like, even suave is the word. He's just very comfortable and confident on the field. And I am telling you, do not sleep on L.A. Do not sleep on the L.A. Wildcats. The L.A. Wildcats have the most potential in the entire XFL. I mean, they had dropped passes. They had dropped interceptions. They had fumbles. They had turnovers and interceptions of their own. Awful special teams, a fumbled punt, a missed field goal. And yet, they still won on Sunday. Despite all that horrible crap that went wrong, the LA Wildcats still found a way to win. And I'm telling you, if and when LA finally can put a complete game together. A game where all three phases, offense, defense, special teams, a a game where they all play well. L.A. is going to be scary, and they can beat anybody. Each week, very, very slowly, L.A. gets better and better. They're cleaning up their mistakes, and I am telling you, keep an eye on L.A. They could win the XFL Championship. Keep an eye on L.A. They're a good football team. They're better than people realize. And I got to go back to that idea of their, their mentality, their willingness to keep fighting despite all the bad things that happen. You know, in baseball, you have batters that... They'll strike out and they'll strike out over. They'll have like a a horrible game, you know, slump where they haven't had a base hit in like three days and they struck out nine times and the guy just keeps swinging and eventually it works. You just keep swinging and you keep swinging and eventually you connect and make it happen. L.A. is the same way. I mean, on, on Sunday, everything went wrong and they just kept swinging and eventually they connected and made it happen and found a way to win that game. I was so impressed. I've never seen a more resilient football team than the L.A. Wildcats. Now, um, the Dallas Renegades make me sad. They just make me very, very sad. Now, a very small part of me wants to be proud of myself because I was right about the Dallas backup quarterback, Philip Nelson. I've been saying the same exact thing about Philip Nelson since week one of the XFL season. And it's not that fulfilling or that impressive, really, to be right because, you know, it's not like I had some crazy theory and said some, out-of-left-field wacky thing. It's just what I see on film as an objective fact that the Dallas quarterback, Phillip Nelson, is just a limiting factor. His inability to throw the ball downfield is a massive, massive limiting factor to the Dallas offense. Dallas cannot succeed with Phillip Nelson at quarterback. That's brutal. It's also honest. You know, Vegas was very, very wrong about this game. You had Dallas playing New York. And for some reason, Vegas had Dallas as the favorite to beat New York this week. If I'd known that, I've never, ever gambled in my entire life. You know, I've actually turned down gambling sponsors because it's one of my weird principles. i just like, ah, I'm good. But man, I, 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 even me, who opposes gambling strongly because I've, I've got family members who had horrible addictions and I stay away from it. Even me would go... I might put money on on New York beating Dallas because Dallas's quarterback, Phillip Nelson, can't get the job done. And like I said they would, listen to the show from last week, I said, hey, uh, New York's going to beat Dallas, and New York did beat Dallas. They won 30-12. to 12. It's one of those rare times. I don't gloat very often when I'm right. I'm actually kind of famous for making videos where I talk about when I'm wrong. But, man, I saw this coming a mile away. I was right. And again, it doesn't take a genius or a football god to understand that, hey, Philip Nelson is the problem. You know, Philip Nelson is the backup quarterback in Dallas. The starting quarterback, Landry Jones, is hurt. And not having Landry Jones is probably going to end up costing Dallas their entire season. You know, Philip Nelson has played only two full games this season in relief of Landry Jones week one. You know, Landry Jones was hurt week five last week. Landry Jones was also hurt. And in two full games with Philip Nelson as a quarterback, Dallas has not scored a drive on a touchdown with Philip Nelson in at quarterback. In week three, they had, or excuse me, in week one, when Philip Nelson started, they had three field goals. And in week five, the most recent game, they had another two field goals. Dallas's one touchdown in week five was a kick return touchdown. Again, they cannot succeed with Philip Nelson as, as quarterback. I mean, he, he's just his arm. He's got a noodle arm. He doesn't have the ability to throw the ball downfield beyond literally five yards. I know that sounds weird, and you're probably thinking, if Philip Nelson is so bad, if he's really as bad as you say, Zach, well, then why does he play? Well, uh, he's playing because he makes good decisions, not because he's talented. He plays... Because he puts the ball in the right spot. I have to acknowledge that. Phillip Nelson, he makes often pretty solid decisions. He's not a, a bad reader of defenses. But he's super physically limited. Again, he's got a little noodle arm. He cannot complete a pass and do a tight window downfield. That's sad. That's brutal. That's also honest. He threw some really, really terrible balls downfield this past weekend. There was a third and nine. hit a deep ball down the right sideline. And he literally threw the ball out of bounds. He was nowhere near his target. <laughs> you can't complete a deep ball if you throw it out of bounds. That's pointless. And then Dallas has this star tight end, Donald Parham. The dude's six foot eight. He's a he's a stud man. The guy's so fast. He's so physically gifted. And multiple times, New York played Donald Parham in man coverage and said, "Hey, we're going to cover your guy one on one because we don't think your quarterback can get the ball there." And in spite of the fact that Donald Parham in one-on-one coverage is a mismatch, Donald Parham should dominate that. Uh, Dallas couldn't get him the ball. They, I think he had, like, one catch. I, I remember one opportunity where Philip Nelson, like, closed his eyes and threw the ball downfield and got lucky. And he literally, like, after he completed the pass, was like, oh, he was very, like, relieved that it worked. Because Philip Nelson, for the majority of the game, When Donald Parham, the star tight end for Dallas, was in man coverage and open, by the way, Philip Nelson literally was physically incapable of getting him the ball. Again, it's sad, it's brutal, but it's also a harsh reality to say that Philip Nelson is the problem. He will be the reason why Dallas will not win more games. If Philip Nelson is the quarterback for Dallas, they cannot win. It's not possible. Now, I do want to say one thing I want to defend Philip Nelson. If you look at the stat sheet, he had two interceptions. It looks pretty bad. Philip Nelson, two bad decisions, two interceptions. Um, they were not bad throws. They were actually tough breaks. Both balls were tipped up and caught by defensive linemen. That's not his fault. So I want to give one one respectful, um, kind thought towards Philip Nelson. His two interceptions were just unfortunate, unlucky plays. They were not terrible decisions. You shouldn't bash him for, he's so bad, blah, blah, blah. And he had two interceptions. He's bad, blah, blah, blah. Can't throw the ball downfield. But at least the two interceptions he threw were not directly his fault. They were balls that were just unluckily tipped up and caught by defensive linemen. Okay, Uh, let's talk about Dallas. Dallas, what am I saying? Let's talk about D.C. The D.C. defenders won on Sunday. It was a good win. They won at home. And I got to say, if we're going to talk about D.C. winning at home, I love D.C.'s home stadium. It's beautiful. It's the best home stadium in the XFL. It's a smaller, more intimate, perfect spot to watch a game. Um, and they beat a really good team, St. Louis. They won 15-6 to uh, over St. Louis. And here's the key to the game, why D.C. won. D.C. benched their struggling quarterback, Cardell Jones. You know, D.C. started running the ball in the first nine plays of the game. D.C. ran the ball eight times. They threw the ball only once. And it really showed that, hey, we're not that confident in our quarterback, Cardell Jones. And also, we really believe we can run the ball incredibly well against St. Louis. Now, uh, Cardell Jones' first pass, I believe it was a third and 11, was incomplete. And on his second throw of the day... You know he started. Uh, he avoided a sack. He extended the play. He's running to the sideline, and instead of throwing the ball out of bounds to live to see another day, guess what he did? He threw the ball into coverage, and it got intercepted. <clears throat> Should have thrown the ball away. And so they benched him. They said we're, we're done. We're tired of the turnovers. The DC defenders benched Cardell Jones, and put in Tyree Jackson at quarterback, the quarterback from Buffalo. University of Buffalo played briefly with the Bills. And he came in and was very fine. Tyree Jackson was fine. Tyree Jackson was not impressive. If he was, I would credit him, but he wasn't. But what Tyree Jackson did really well was he limited the negative plays. He avoided costly mistakes. There were no huge wow plays from Tyree Jackson at quarterback, but let's be honest, D.C. doesn't need that. They're a really good all-around football team. The two losses D.C. has this year came because Cardell Jones was turning the ball over and making massive, massive mistakes. Tyree Jackson did enough to win, and that's all he needed to do. He did have a short touchdown pass on a slant. It was an RPL. The defense bit came inside. He threw the slant for a short touchdown, and I was really happy for him. And Tyree Jackson had several runs that converted third downs. Great. Also really, really good. But in the passing game, Tyree Jackson didn't do much. He was 9 for 14 passes. He completed 9 passes of the 14 he threw. So 9 completions for only 39 total yards. 3-9. 39 total yards in the entire game for Tyree Jackson throwing. He did have that one touchdown. DC ran and ran and ran and ran the ball. It just pounded the ball repeatedly. They ran the ball 41 times for 200 and 29 total yards rushing. That's awesome. Now, you know, Tyree Jackson made a couple of mistakes in the passing game. Uh, There was a play where he bailed out of the pocket way too early on one play. You know, St. Louis brought the blitz. And yes, blitz makes you nervous, but DC's offensive line was able to pick it up. And in spite of that, you know, Tyree Jackson just bailed out of the pocket way too early. Like, he didn't trust it. There was another play where he had a deep crossing route wide open. And I mean, there was... No defenders in the middle of the field. His guy was wide open in the middle. uh, But he took his eyes down to run and didn't get all the way through his read progression. He just wasn't comfortable. He was looking to run a little bit too early. But again, Tyree Jackson was a lot better than Cardell Jones for this simple reason that he had no costly turnovers. You know, Cardell Jones this season has four touchdowns and seven interceptions. It's not good. Too many turnovers. But I do want to credit Cardell Jones here. Uh, he really earned my respect. He got benched, and getting benched is terrible. doesn't feel good. But what he did is stayed engaged with the game. He wasn't pouting alone by himself on the sideline. He was in it. He is focused. He was ready if his name was called again. And there was a moment where, you know, when Tyree Jackson threw that you know short slant for a touchdown, the first guy out there to celebrate with him was Cardell Jones giving him a side bump. I... Love that. I massively, massively respect Cardell Jones for his leadership in that moment. You know, last week, Brandon Silvers, the quarterback for Seattle, got benched. And he walked off on his own and pouted and wasn't engaged in the game at all. And you got to credit Cardell Jones here. His leadership and his maturity for handling being benched that well was really, really impressive to me. Now, there are two final notes I want to make about D.C. Number one is that I love watching the D.C. defensive end, Anthony Johnson. He's great. He's AJX, uh, I think, 5 on Instagram. He's really, his Instagram's fun. I love him. I love his intensity. I love his passion for the game. And when you watch him play, it's so clear. Anthony Johnson just loves playing the game of football. It's so refreshing and cool to see. You know, D.C. in totality had four sacks on defense. And D.C. had two really big stops on 4th and 1, in the 4th quarter at the end of the game. Not one stop on 4th and 1, but two stops on 4th and 1, in the 4th quarter, on consecutive drives. DC's defense came up big when they were needed. And then number two, I gotta say this, because it's important, I really, really like Pep Hamilton, the head coach of DC. uh, And I get, he's probably got a lot on his plate, because his main concern is trying to get into the end zone, not what you need to do once you do get into the end zone. But... DC still has no idea how to handle the conversion situation after a touchdown. So after a touchdown, you can go for a one-point conversion from the two-yard line, a two-point conversion from the five-yard line, or a three-point conversion from the 10-yard line. And DC very clearly has no idea what to do. Every other XFL team has figured out their plan. Every team has a unique plan. Some teams have a special package where they run a certain special formation. Some teams have a different approach and they only go for two every time or whatever it is. But every other team has figured out their plan for how to handle a conversion after a touchdown. DC is not. They're one for nine. Of the nine times DC's tried a conversion this year, they've gotten one of them all season. And it's pretty clear. Again, Pep Hamilton, the head coach of DC, is like, "Um, I don't know. I got no plan yet. We'll figure it out. And I think part of it, again, is they're so focused on just trying to score touchdowns that you know, getting a conversion is an afterthought, but it is something we're talking about. I love Pep Hamilton. He's got to figure out a plan sooner or later for what to do after you score a touchdown because they are the worst in the league and they look aimless and like they have no plan after a touchdown is scored. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we have four, five topics left. Uh, we're going to talk about New York and their quarterback, Luis Perez. We're going to talk about a, I, you know, a, really a topic I'm so excited for. It's about... We're using the XFL as a case study to show how misleading statistics can, in fact, be. We're going to talk about the St. Louis BattleHawks. We'll talk about the Tampa Bay Vipers. Uh, we'll end with a segment we end with every single week. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I want to start with the New York Guardians. The New York Guardians won this past weekend. They beat Dallas. 30 to 12. And this game was a prime example of just how misleading statistics can be. The New York Guardians quarterback, Luis Perez, was 16 for 30 passing. That's a 53% completion percentage. He had 229 yards, one touchdown, had another, had one interception. He was nearly perfect, though. And yet, statistics would not necessarily show that. You know, There's a lot of questions. Why was his completion percentage so low? Why did he have such a low amount of completions? And why were his incompletion numbers so high? There are two reasons for that. Number one is he kept throwing the ball away to avoid sacks and to avoid having negative plays. He'd throw the ball into the stands rather than forcing the ball into coverage or rather than taking a sack. And people got to understand that Incompletions are not all bad. We, we regularly treat incompletions like they're just the worst thing ever. But that's not true. Things are not all necessarily just black and white. There's nuance here, and nuance matters. Not all completions are bad completions. There is such a thing as good incompletions. New York also had six or seven dropped passes. I personally lost track after the first four. I went, oh my gosh. But Luis Perez threw some really great throws that got dropped. And that you can't account for in the statistics category. Also, his one interception was actually a great throw. It was a back shoulder fade that Mikhail McKay tried to catch one-handed. The ball kind of bounced slash rolled off of his hands, got tipped into a defender's hands, and intercepted. I like Mikhail McKay. He's a big, strong receiver. He's got this really cool hoodie he wears on game day. But he has average hands, and that interception was on Mikhail McKay. It was not Luis Perez's fault. Oh, and by the way, that you know, people say, well, he only had one touchdown. The reason why Luis Perez only had one touchdown was on the one-yard line, they took him out of the game, and they put in the backup quarterback, Marquise Williams, who's more athletic, to run a QB keep to score a touchdown. But Luis Perez is so awesome, man. You know, he's a great vocal leader. He's a great communicator. And that cool moment, you know, on the one-yard line when Marquise Williams scored a touchdown on a quarterback keeper. You hear Luis Perez, who was mic'd up, you can hear him say, That's a great call, coach. Good job. He's a team guy. He doesn't care about his numbers or his statistics. He doesn't mind if he has 50,000 incompletions. As long as his team wins, he's fine with that. He does what's best for his team, not what's best for his stat line. He doesn't care about the stats. He cares about winning and making good decisions, even if it means throwing the ball into the stands and hurting his, quote, completion percentage. You know, Luis Perez, again, is a team guy. He was voted a team captain in the past week. That's really impressive. He wasn't even the starting quarterback week one for New York. And then also New York lost both of their starting tackles on the offensive line in this game. Their left tackle got ejected for fighting. Their right tackle got hurt and missed the rest of the game. And yet, despite having both of his tackles missing, a right and left side, Luis Perez still made great decisions and succeeded. And he stepped into throws as he was hit. He was getting hit a lot, but he was not afraid to get hit. He stepped into his throws, got knocked in the face a couple times, and he really only made one bad decision all game. It was a game, a throw early in the game where he threw, I believe it was even on the first drive where he threw a an incompletion down the left sideline, kind of forcing a throw deep into double coverage. But that was it. I mean, the rest of the game, man, he did a great job. And you got to understand that Luis Perez is everything you would want in a quarterback. He's super coachable. He makes great decisions. He's a good vocal leader. He can beat man coverage with really accurate throws. Does a great job working through his progression. So He can start on the left side of the field, go one, two, that's not open. Where's my third read? That's not open. I can throw all the way across the field to his fourth read in his progression. It's a big deal. He's a great quarterback at reading defenses, and he avoids negative plays. He's not afraid, again, to throw the ball away, to avoid a sack, do what it takes to avoid a negative play. you got to understand, Luis Perez is Tom Brady. I mean, really, I'm I'm dead serious. The way they play the game is so similar. It's such an efficient style of quarterback. I I don't know, man. Luis Perez is just a student of the game, and I, I personally really enjoy watching him play. He wins because of his leadership and because of his preparation. Everywhere Luis Perez has gone, he's overachieved. he's surprised people. And the reason why he does that, because of his preparation. He's prepared. He's talented. But his preparation allows him to make good decisions to get the ball in the right spot. And his preparation allows him to have the talent to be ready when his name is called. He works incredibly hard. Again, he's prepared. He knows where to go with the ball. And because he does a lot of off-season training, he's prepared to make the right throw when it's required of him. I love it, man. I really, really enjoy watching. I really enjoy watching Luis Perez. It's such a blast. You know, it's really cool. It's been fun to watch New York come together as a team in the last two weeks. New York's defense plays differently with Luis Perez at quarterback. They just do. They're more confident. I think it's because they realize they have a quarterback who gives them a chance to win. And their effort isn't going to be all for naught. There was a play where Dallas ran a trick play, a flea flicker. And Dallas, you know, normally you would see a defense maybe uh, be undisciplined and give up a big gain there. New York was not. New York was completely disciplined. Safety stayed home. Everyone did the right thing. And it's just fun to watch. Their defense, with Luis Perez at quarterback, New York's defense has made a big step forward and really improved. I also love New York's running back Darius Victor is awesome. He's a super physical back. He runs really, really hard. And I just even, as I look around the XFL, I see so many quality running backs throughout the league. Uh, and Darius Victor is definitely one of the better ones in the XFL. Now I do have one concern: New York's center, Ian Silberman, is a troublemaker. You get a personal foul for fighting in this game. In week 5. This is not the first time either. He's been fighting in the past. Uh, I watched him against St. Louis cause a lot of trouble. Nearly got kicked out of the game. My one concern with New York actually moving forward is that Ian Silverman. Silberman is with a B. Even Silverman might be a... a What I see is a hothead who's kind of a wild card. And that could get New York into trouble down the road. Maybe a key play where they need a first down or they need something. And hothead Ian Silverman just gets all freaked out and gets kicked out or has a big penalty that costs them. So that concerns me cuz he's a, got a little bit of erratic behavior, but other than that man, I feel really good about the New York Guardians moving forward. Now I got to say this because this is a this is a topic near and dear to my heart. People get mad at me all the time When I say that statistics are overrated, their minds explode, they can't handle it. Maybe they're a financial analyst and they're like, ah, but you gotta, please stop. We're talking about football. And I think it's really important for people to understand just how easily statistics can be misleading in the game of football. I I heard someone say recently that, you know, stats never lie. And I went, excuse me? He said, yeah, yeah, stats, statistics, impossible. They never lie. And I'm like, "Are, are you kidding me? That's completely false. That's so false. I can't even believe it. I'm literally doing a topic on the podcast because of how wrong that is. Stats lie all the time, constantly. It's so easy for, you know, stats to be misinterpreted or, you know, misleading because you have to view them with context. You can't just take stats at face value. I compiled a couple of examples. We're going to use XFL week five as a kind of a case study to show some examples of where statistics can be incredibly misleading in the game of football. We'll start with, you know, know, Houston's quarterback, PJ Walker's a big deal. People love him. We'll start with him. During week five, he had three turnovers. He had two interceptions and a fumble lost. That's three total turnovers uh, against, uh, they played Seattle this week. And the announcers kept saying, oh my gosh, he's got three turnovers. This is just a different P.J. Walker than we've seen all season. And I I just was like, you're wrong. It's not true. That statement saying we're just seeing a different P.J. Walker was completely false. P.J. Walker played exactly the same week five as he did week four, week two, week three, week one. P.J. Walker has played the same all five weeks of the XFL season. Oh, he's a stud. I love him. He's going to be the league MVP. But occasionally, he makes a questionable throw. He'll make a throw where you go, ooh, that probably should have been intercepted against St. Louis and Tampa Bay, weeks two and three. (laughs) PJ Walker gave the defense opportunities, and they dropped interceptions. Uh, There's a couple plays burned into my memory, because I remember writing them down going, ooh, let's not forget that. Where the defense had the ball in their hands. P.J. Walker threw it right to him. And they dropped the ball. That's That should have been an interception that in the stat line did not go down as an interception. But people, if you just look at... if, if The only way you analyze P.J. Walker and you go... Well, in the first five weeks I looked at his highlights. And his highlights aren't going to have turnovers. And then you look at his box score and you go... Well, he had no turnovers week two and three. So, well, clearly... We're just seeing a different quarterback week five than we've seen all year. That's where that quote comes from. And it's because people don't dig deeper. They just take the stats at face value. They only read the box score. They only watch the highlights rather than looking at the full context of the game and seeing, oh, he's made mistakes like that all season. Just week five, the defense happened to actually catch the ball. Now, Another interesting part of P.J. Walker's game is his ability to run around. And week five, he ran the ball seven times for negative five yards. Seven rushes for negative five yards. What happened? His running game was shut down because Seattle ran a really wide, disciplined pass rush. It's a really good scheme designed by Seattle in this game. And they designed it to keep P.J. Walker in the pocket. Their aim was, you know, the defensive ends are going to pass rush really wide. Get really wide. Keep P.J. Walker in front of you. No matter where he goes, keep your eyes on him. Keep him in front of you. Don't let him get behind you. And if you keep him in front of you, he'll stay in the pocket. If he tries to run around, we can tackle him. And that's exactly what happened. Seattle did a great job containing P.J. Walker, and it's because they made a different adjustment. Rather than just rushing upfield, blindly trying to sack P.J. Walker, they played a, a type of contained defense, kept P.J. Walker in front of them, didn't let him run around and escape the pocket. So in week five, P.J. Walker had three turnovers. He ran the ball seven times for negative five yards. And the question is, did P.J. Walker change? No. No, he did not. The defense changed. The defense made adjustments, and they made plays when P.J. Walker threw the ball in their hands. They caught interceptions. P.J. Walker hasn't changed The defense did week five. How about uh, poor Philip Nelson? Philip Nelson is Dallas's backup quarterback. He had two interceptions in week five. And if you just look at the stat sheet, it's terrible. You go, oh my gosh, Philip Nelson, two interceptions, must have made two terrible decisions. But here's the reality. (laughs) They They were plays where he just got unlucky. They were not bad decisions. He threw the ball. The ball got tipped up in the air and caught by defensive linemen. Both of his interceptions week five were caught by defensive linemen. Is that a bad decision or is that just being unlucky? Philip Nelson was unlucky. Those interceptions are not a reflection of his decision making. And then Luis Perez, my favorite storyline in this uh, case study of stats being misleading. New York's quarterback Luis Perez in week five was 16 for 30 passing. That's a 53% completion percentage. And completion percentage is something. We'll get into it. I It's so overrated. <laughs> it's so silly. They're like, we put so much emphasis on completion percentage. So he had a 53% completion percentage, 229 yards passing, one touchdown, one interception. And he was yet nearly perfect. Even though the stats wouldn't show that. Uh, Luis Perez made phenomenal decisions the entire game. And yet the stat line would say, "Oh well, 53% completion percentage, that's terrible. So why was his completion percentage so low? And why did he have so many incompletions? There are two reasons. Number one was that he kept throwing the ball away. He did it either to avoid a sack or because you know nobody was open. And he was avoiding a negative play. I'm going to throw the ball into the stands rather than force it into coverage. And people want things to be simple because nuance is confusing. fair enough. I, I guess I, I don't really understand it, but whatever, that's people. People just want it to be black and white. Incompletions are bad. That's what most people believe. Incompletion equals bad play. Bad quarterback, incompletion. But there is such a thing as a good incompletion. You know, Luis Perez's incompletions were actually good decisions where he was throwing the ball to avoid a negative play, throwing the ball into the stands or throwing the ball away to avoid a sack or avoid forcing the ball into coverage. That's a good decision, even though, you know, it's a, quote, oh, a bad incompletion. But another thing you have to pay attention to is that New York had six or seven dropped passes. I mean, Mikhail McKay had the ball in his hands wide open, just dropped it. And that happened multiple times down the stretch for New York in week five. It's a dropped pass. A a brilliant, a great read, a great throw. Hit your receiver right in stride in the hands that's dropped. That's not the quarterback's fault. And yet the statistics would reflect, oh, that's an incompletion. That makes the quarterback look bad. So the incompletions were not the quarterback's fault. At least not the dropped passes. And neither was his interception. Mikael McKay tried to one-hand a back shoulder fade, tried to one-hand it, the ball kind of rolled off his hands, got popped into the air, right into the hands of a waiting defender. That's not Luis Perez's fault. That's a really good throw that Mikhail McKay botched, tipped up in the air, and allowed the defense to make a play on it. That interception was not Luis Perez's fault. It was the receiver's fault, not the quarterback's. So stats lie all the time, especially in the game of football. They can be incredibly misleading. Do not put all your faith into statistics. It drives me nuts, especially if you avoid context. Oh, my gosh. You know, stats are kind of like spark notes. You know, spark notes can give you the gist of a story. But to fully understand what happened in a book, you need to read the whole book. You need to read the whole story. You can't just read the spark notes stats are again like a spark notes. they're a shortcut. You need the full context to fully understand stats. You can't just look at a box score and some highlights and think you know the whole story of a game and the whole story of a player and let's be very honest, some stats are meaningless. There's a Instagram account called w t f stats they say they just give you a lot of stats that are like it's like this isn't I like the account by the way there's a really cool picture of uh the Atlanta. FC stadium it's like in the Atlanta Dome whatever the Georgia Dome I guess is what it's called and they have like 71,000 people and I guess all 10 of the highest attended MLS games in MLS history are games in Atlanta does that have any value I mean not I don't know someone could find probably a commercial value to say that hey you want to do marketing do a marketing at a Atlanta game but what does that have to do with with soccer not, not, not a lot not, just not much So stats lie all the time. You cannot just blindly trust numbers. Stats can be incredibly misleading if you refuse to pay attention to the context. Stats are not the story. Don't just spark note a game. Don't just look at the stats. Don't just watch the highlights. If you want to really understand the gist of a game and talk with authority, watch the film. Watch an entire game. Don't just throw out a couple stats and think you're a gigantic expert on exactly what happened in a football game. Okay, on Sunday, the St. Louis team... What am I talking? What am I saying? On Sunday, the St. Louis Battlehawks lost to D.C. And the really sad reality for the St. Louis Battlehawks is that it was a step backwards for their quarterback, Jordan Ta'amu. He was not polished as a quarterback last this past weekend. You know, there's a play on second and eight where... He held onto the ball too long. He had an open route. Uh, he had a, an out route open on the right side of the field, and he took a sack instead. And it was like he didn't understand who the play was designed to put in conflict. You know, the corner bailed and, and dropped off, you know, letting the flat get open. The, the linebacker on the right side flowed inside with a, an in breaking route, and the flat was just wide open. And Jordan Zahmu couldn't recognize it, didn't understand what happened, held onto the ball too long, and took a sack. And then on the first play of the game, you know, earlier in, the, earlier in the game, on the first play, there was a guy wide open deep, and Jordan Ta'amu missed the throw. He just overthrew him. And on a third and ten, there was some pressure, and it forced Jordan Ta'amu to step up in the pocket. He kind of panicked and threw the ball to his check down way too early, who was not open, by the way. The check down was completely covered. Through an incomplete pass, rather than being calm and working through his progression, or stepping up in the pocket, extending the play, keeping his eyes downfield, looking for someone to be open. Instead, he hurried himself, forced the ball early to his check down, and threw an incomplete pass. Jordan Zaamu was just a bit off. He was just a bit off in this game. And St. Louis had protection issues. There were, there were a couple of plays where the protection wasn't great. There was a, an injury on in the offensive line. The offensive line is not a good enough excuse. They played good enough for Jordan Ta'amu to do well. And Jordan Ta'amu's average decision-making and lack of execution were certainly not the offensive line's fault. The offensive line doesn't throw the ball. The offensive line doesn't hurry themselves. In, uh, they, don't, they don't miss throws. They don't make bad decisions. The offensive line can allow guys to come early. But that's on Jordan Ta'amu to handle that better. And Jordan Amu did not handle a lot that great. In week five, week five was just again a gigantic step backward from week four. Week four, Jordan T'amu had his best performance as a quarterback at any level. I'm convinced of that. Week five was a step backward from decision making from an accuracy standpoint. And St. Louis just as a team had multiple opportunities late in this game, and they blew it. They got stopped on fourth and one twice in the fourth quarter, and it was a team loss. I mean, they had protection issues. They couldn't win on fourth and one up front two times in a row. They had a punt block, they missed a field goal, and Jordan Ta'amu was not his best. In week five, St. Louis lost to D.C., and they did not deserve to win the game. All right, uh, Tampa lost to L.A. on Sunday night, and despite the loss, quarterback Taylor Cornelius ended up uh, earning the starting job, if you ask me. He was 22 for 34 passing, 300 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. He also ran for for 45 yards and another touchdown. He did have those three turnovers, you know, the two interceptions I talked about. He also had a fumble that L.A. picked up and uh, ran for a touchdown. He was hit as he threw. I don't know. It's, It's not really his fault. But Taylor Cornelius also made a bunch of really good plays. And he's not the best quarterback in the XFL, but Taylor Cornelius is the best quarterback on the Tampa Bay Vipers roster. He's got the highest ceiling. Is capable of the most success. In Tampa. You know, he had a big throw on 3rd and 13. It was a dime on an out route. He had a play on 2nd and 15 earlier in the game. Oh my gosh. It was one of my favorite plays of the weekend. Just because it was from a fundamental standpoint. It was just such a great play by the quarterback. He stepped up in the pocket. He was looking left. He moved right. His second option wasn't there. He found his third option. Had great timing. Threw the ball. It just was a Phenomenal throw on second and 15 for a big gain. This really good quarterback play, working through his progressions, having great movement in the pocket, and uh, he throws a pretty ball. I mean, I will say, Taylor Cornelius has a great arm. He just, one of the few quarterbacks I watch throw the ball and go, ooh, that's smooth. That looks really pretty. That looks really good. I, I do wish that Taylor Cornelius was a more vocal leader, a little bit more of an encourager. But I do have to say, my my big takeaway from Tampa week five, uh, tough loss, you know, had a big lead, they gave it up. But I will say they walked away with, I I walked away with a big feeling that, yeah, the best quarterback in Tampa Bay is Taylor Cornelius. He's the guy and should be the guy moving forward. Guys, that's all I have. Uh, Thank you so very much for tuning in. I want to end the show with this message. Uh, Four years ago, my younger brother took his life. And I learned two really painful lessons when that happened. Number one is that if you're struggling, go get help. Uh, my brother never talked to anybody. Him and I hung out a lot. You know, We worked together. We played Halo together. We played high school football together. Um, and uh, w- he never told me he was struggling. Never told anybody. And so I encourage you, if you're having a hard time, reach out to somebody. A teacher, a coach, a parent, somebody. Go get help, especially an authority figure. Go help. Get help. Do not suffer in silence. Do not just walk away from life without getting some help, man. I I really encourage you. If you have nobody to talk to, if there really is nobody in your life you can turn to, you can call the suicide hotline 1 800 273 8255. The suicide hotline is 1 800 273 8255. The other painful lesson I learned is, and I encourage everybody of this, man, make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them. Uh, You know, My brother and I, I regret not hugging him more, not telling him I loved him more. Um, I encourage you, you know, my brother and I had very shallow conversations. We talked about girls and sports and movies and video games, and we never really had a deeper conversation where it's like, hey man, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? Do you know that I love you? Do you know that I'm here for you? I didn't make it clear enough to my younger brother that I was there for him if he was having a hard time. So again, I encourage you, if you're struggling, go get help and then make sure the people in your life know how much you care about them that you're there for them if they need it. I want to end the show today with a Jim Carrey quote. Well, I'm going to read the quote then I'll explain why. I just uh it's it's beautiful because it's really true and you got to give yourself a fighting chance in life. Jim Carrey said, "I believe depression is legitimate. But I also believe that if you don't exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material, surround yourself with support, then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. I love that, man. Take care of yourselves. Uh, go get enough sleep. Go do things in your life you enjoy. Uh, you know, depression is a real thing, and there are. Go get help if you have depression, and go see a counselor, and go go get help. Call the suicide hotline if you have nobody else. But also, give yourself a fighting chance, man. Go do things you enjoy. That Jim Carrey quote. I'm going to read it again. I believe depression is legitimate. But I also believe that if you don't get exercise, eat nutritious food, get sunlight, get enough sleep, consume positive material, and surround yourself with support, then you aren't giving yourself a fighting chance. That's a Jim Carrey quote. I love it, guys. My name is Zach Schamler. Thank you so very much. Hope you have a great day. Um, look, we got a great show. We got a great week planned. I'm so excited. Uh, that's all I have for today. Recording more very very shortly. Bam bum bam. We are.